Well, hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. I'm your host, Jim Henry. This series of podcasts will feature conversations with professionals from all aspects of the music business. They'll offer advice, anecdotes, and hard-won wisdom that will certainly be enlightening for a beginner and hopefully entertaining for music industry veterans as well as just regular old music fans. On the show today, we have Mark Arelli. Mark is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, a sought-after accompanist, studio musician, and producer. He's been a staple on the New England acoustic music scene for nearly 20 years, and in that time has recorded 10 solo albums and played on countless tracks for other artists. He's toured the world in support of his own music and is a member of the Laurie McKenna Band and Josh Ritter's Band. On his most recent CD, Mixtape, Mark covers material from a few of his favorite musical heroes, including Roy Orbison, Phil Collins, Nico Case, and Richard Thompson. Mark is a talented and busy guy, so we're glad he could take the time to stop by and share some of his wisdom with us today on the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast. So let's say hello to Mark Arelli. Well, hello, Mark Arelli. Hi there, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's fun to see you sitting across from me here at the Ruby Tone Studio. Oh, it's really great to be here. It looks wonderful. I love what you've done with the place. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been here. It has. Do you remember the last time you were here? I think I came here at one point to grab an amp case from you. Oh, oh right. <laughs> actually, you and Ronnie Arbo came and had a rehearsal here one time. We too. did, yeah. yeah. So that would have been like 2007 or, or not, no, 2009 or 10. So really, been it, had, it hasn't been, has it really been that long? It has. Wow. It, it's too long. I'm well, it's here been, now. I'm here. I know. Let's not dwell on the past. And uh, the other thing I've been asking people when they stop by is do you remember where we met or how we met? Oh yeah. Well, I was listening to your your Tracy Grammer podcast, and uh, we we actually met that same night. Oh, that's at right. The, in the Signature Sounds Hotel Room Showcase in the Poconos at that's the Poconos right. Alliance. That's so funny. I yeah. don't I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I know that it occurred, but I don't I don't remember. Yeah. That. But you're here today to talk about pro tips. And yes. I'm glad that you are, and you have picked a pro tip. Yeah. Pro tip number twenty eight: Musical heroes are important. Pay respect whenever possible. I love that one. I love them all, but that that one really spoke to me. And yeah, why why did you pick that one? I mean, wh- I, how does it speak to you? In the most general sense, I consider myself to be a folk singer. I do a lot of different things. Un- that's a big umbrella, and I do a lot of the things under that umbrella. One of the things about folk music, in, in, implicit in the idea of folk music, is there's a chain, there's a lineage, there's a pr- progression, there's an evolution. There's things that came before, there's things that are happening now. There's things in a, that are going to come along and replace you. It's mm-hmm. like life, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, Like that song, Passing Through. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, so, you know, one of the things in, in folk music is, is realizing that while you are trying to create something that is in your own voice that and that feels uh, native to you, that it is not coming from nowhere. It, right. You know, you're picking up on echoes of things that already came before you and that kind of infuses your own work in kind of subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. Right. Yeah, you're not even aware of it sometimes. And that's one yeah. way to pay respect to, to your musical heroes is, is to let yourself be influenced by them. You know, that, that might be the first, the first way that, uh, and the easiest way, just to pay attention to what people did before you and, and to educate yourself and to find the things that, not just the things that you're supposed to know, but you should you should do that work too. But also the things that really resonate with you and that you just love. When I was growing up 
and, and just learning how to play the guitar. It was a whole different scene on the radio. The music actually sounded like something I'd be able to play. Um, today, what tends to be on the radio is really massively produced, auto-tuned, and slick productions. When I was just learning how to play, it was more acoustic Based. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Neil Young was on the radio. Paul Simon was on the radio. That sounds great. <laughs> I know. It's hard, it's hard to imagine now. So, but, and the production value was such that if it spoke to you somehow, it wasn't so out of reach to be able to learn it, be yeah. able to play it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit older than you are. <laughs> yeah, just a tiny what was, bit. So what was on the radio? Well, or you know, did what, you even listen to the radio? Oh, sure. Yeah, I grew up with uh, the radio and then MTV was, was oh, yeah. really big. So basically what I got into like once, once the pop music... The, the origin, the initial pop music phase of like whatever was on the chart. Uh, I, I got like really into hair metal. You know, that, that was the folk music. That was the folk music of my like, you know, early teenage years. You really? Know, that was when like Bon Jovi came out and when uh, Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard and, you know, all those bands. And, What's really funny is that, of course, that that stuff's also very heavily produced and and uh, very uh, virtuosically played in, in in a lot of cases. I didn't play music back then, in part because it seemed like, well, how could you ever do that? Right. But now that I play music, and if I ever go back and hear some of that stuff and engage with it as a as a guitar player and as a musician now uh, with a, with a few years under my belt. I'm like, oh, they're just playing blue scales, yeah. <laughs> or that's just G, C, and D, but it's just through like ten Marshall stacks, you right. know? Like it's, it's all the same stuff, but you can kind of tart it up in, in any number of ways. <laughs> that was the stuff that was popular during my junior high years, and then in high school, I, I'm more from that into classic rock, and I was more of a Stones and a Beatles guy, you know, Stones, Led Zeppelin, that kind of stuff, <laughs> a little edgier. What was that? The music that made you think, "Oh, well, hey, I could play that, or I want to play that." No, no. <laughs> I mean, I I would have loved to have done that, but, but it just I, didn't occur to you that you might be able to do that. No, yeah. and of course, all all the stuff on MTV was bands and produced, and there were right. you know cameras and videos, and even Unplugged was a whole ordeal in, right. in a production. So once I, I went from you know, hair metal to like Led Zeppelin, which is kind of like early metal, you mm-hmm. know, it's, and then into classic rock and then into the classic rock singer songwriters, people like the James Taylors, the Jackson Browns, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell. Then from there, I realized that there, in searching out more of that music on the radio in Boston, where I grew up, there's a whole scene of independent singer songwriters doing that same thing, being inspired, paying their respects to that lineage, mm-hmm. right, right then and there in the early '90s, and it was actually kind of a golden age of of, of a kind of resurgence of acoustic music coming out of the the '80s, right. whatever that was. Well, that you know, that's interesting. That the radio stations I listened to when I was growing up were just playing pop music or sure. top forty. When I got to college at Hampshire College and started listening to the River. Mm-hmm. That was my first introduction to some like really more cool stuff. You know, Tony Rice, yep. uh, David Grisman, uh, Keith Jarrett, stuff I'd, I'd never heard before. Cool radio was an important link in the chain. It was, and it, and it still can be, you know, and there's things that maybe aren't radio that fill the same role or the same niche these days. In my day, it was uh, WBOS in Boston. At the time, they played Patty Larkin. Bill Morrissey, mm-hmm. and they played uh, a guy that I'd never heard of before by the, by the name of Chris Smither. Mm. And in fact, I think they even had him live in the studio. <laughs> uh, and I was just blown away. 
I mean, here was a guy that that melded the Almond Brothers. I loved. They had like the groove and the instrumental kind of muscle, and that and the bluesy, you know, kind of stuff. I thought that you needed a band for that, but he was covering a lot of that, you know, kind of heavy, deep groove with just finger picking and his feet. And then I loved Bob Dylan and his wise kind of introspective poetic lyrics and here Chris was marrying that to this kind of bluesier sensibility. Do you take a look inside? I got nothing left to hide. Take me as I am, not what I want to be. Why we'll never know we passed that long ago. Is and was is all we ever gonna And so it was, and so you know, he he was melding these these worlds that I had thought were distinct. And I was actually in a used record store in Salem, Massachusetts. I remember it distinctly. And I was in the Joni Mitchell section. I was looking in the M's, <laughs> not the S's. And I'm flipping through, and I'm like, "Well, that's not Joni Mitchell. It says Chris Chris Smither." That's my first thought was. That's incorrectly filed. <laughs> and, uh, and then I realized, Chris Smither, Chris Smither, wait a minute. That's the guy from the radio. So how old are you at this point? Probably 16, 17. Probably 17. And I would find Chris Smither shows at, uh, in these little church coffee houses or whatever, and I would show up. The only teenager there. I get my, uh, sometimes get my so parents funny. to drive me. <laughs> you know, everyone would kind of look at me askance, you know, and I would try to get right up and be as close to him as I could so I could watch his fingers and just make some sense out of what I was hearing visually. And I I just would look at the shapes and the configurations of his hands. And then later when I got into guitar, I would would spend hours trying to duplicate that. Once I had a guitar of my own, I would come home from a Chris Smither concert and go, well, he kind of did this. (laughs) It clicked with my ear and it started to click with me and I was able to at least tease out, you know, the most basic level what he was doing. Well, you wrote a song where you sing about Chris Smither. What's the name of that it's song? It's called Troubadour Blues. Troubadour and, Blues. And yeah, it's, uh, uh, when I was a boy, I went to hear the picker play. I still recall his blue guitar like it was yesterday. I still recall his blue guitar like it was yesterday. I was a part of Kaga waiting for someone to light the fuse. They struck the match and I did catch a Troubadour Blues. And uh, yeah, I put that r- right at the the top of like that song about my origin story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, where'd you go after Chris Smither? Like, who who came next? Do you think? Well, the, you know, Chris was kind of like my window into that whole uh, early '90s independent singer songwriter world. So, and a lot of it was centered around New England, but not all of it. You know, Greg Brown was was mm-hmm. uh, was not here, but um, came through a lot and. Uh, people like Patty Larkin, John Gorka, Bill Morrissey was was kind of on my radar at the time, but I didn't really didn't really connect with him until later. So I, you know, I really started to idolize the Texas singer songwriters. It seemed very real, mm-hmm. you know, and very uh, gritty and true. So I kind of started to to gravitate away from the the folkier stuff and, and get into the rootsier kind of Texas stuff. And I, I remember sending away for a Robert Earl Keen record in college. <laughs> and uh, sending away, yeah, isn't I'm that da- cute? <laughs> I'm so dating myself. But uh, uh, it came, and Robert Earl is is was on the back cover of the record, and he was wearing a Bill Morrissey T-shirt. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my god, the Texas guys that I'm idolizing are idolizing the New England guys, right? 
it's all the same. Right. You know, they have their heroes too, and they're, they're I'm, I'm, I'm living amongst them. Right. You know, so that's when I really started to to, to delve into people like Bill Morrissey. So you were really um, drawn to the the songwriters, singer and songwriters. I was I was drawn to the singers and songwriters as far as the albums went, but I lo- I devoured you know well who who helped to make this record? Who played that guitar solo? Who played that pedal steel part? You know who produced this? What else did they produce? I'd probably like that stuff too, you know. <laughs> and in fact, to this day, when I meet someone that I really love, one of my musical heroes the evolutionary biology, if you will, of those liner notes that I was kind of piecing together over the years as, as a, as a big fanboy, I can now access that information. And if I meet someone, I can say, Hey, you know, it's nice to meet you. And I just want to tell you like that, that thing you did on that, on that Robert O'Keen record, you know, the, the outro where you're, you know, guitar duel with the other guy. Right. Like I just, I loved that. That was such a moment. And like, it's, I, I love that record and unfailingly people, if they're not at all, if, if they're keeping you a little bit at a remove or they're a little bit slow to warm up, unfailingly, they start to open up and a bond is kind of formed and there's a connection. And that, I think that's part of what I love about paying respect uh, to musical heroes and why that's so important because you feel less alone. You know, you feel like you're connecting with what we were saying before, what has come before you and they've, and from there, and they must feel like they're connecting with someone that came after them and stuff, something that's in the right. future. Because, you know, what they did was, might have been 20, 30 years ago. Right. So I just, I love that, that sense of connection and that, and that sense of, you know, letting people know that, like, we're all in this together. I would want to know that if, if I did that for somebody. I, well, that I would appreciate actually, knowing that. That brings up a, a point I wanted to talk to you about or ask you about is... At some point in the last few years, you have become other people's hero. <laughs> wow, really? No doubt. No <laughs> I, doubt. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure you have people come up to you and say, you know, and just sort of are blown away by what you do and wish they could do what you do. Sure. And tell you about that. And not so much idolizing you, but after you've been doing this a while, you become somebody's hero. For me, it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes, sure. you know, because I'm just me sitting here in the studio, you know, talking to Mark or whatever. Um, but some people feel the same way about what you and I do that we felt about, you know, Chris Smither or whoever. Absolutely. So does that, how does that make you feel when that happens? I, well, I think you you hit it right in the head. It, it, there is there is a moment uh, kind of gut reflex there of, of just feeling a little bit conflicted about that. Like, how could that possibly be? You know, or like this person has no idea, you know, what motel I'm sleeping at after this. They, they would know <laughs> right, that right. it's not that glamorous. But uh, And I, I would imagine that, that the, the people who we hold up as heroes feel exactly the same way. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and again, that goes back to that sense of connection. Like I feel... I feel like it is it is a useful lesson to realize that we we're all sharing this time and this this planet. I mean it's it sounds a little bit it sounds pretty hippie when I put it that way, but <laughs> it enriches our lives to know that we're connected to other people. Humans are social creatures right. and uh you know whether you're introspective or or a little bit, you know, more outgoing, it helps to be connected to other other people. Folk music in particular is fosters that. 
Yeah, it, it pre- I mean, it preaches basically that, you know, you're stronger together. And I, I believe that's true. Which goes, it flies right in the face of people suck. So it's, I mean, it's like, <laughs> how, do you rec- yeah. how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, no, but if people come up to me and, and have nice words to say in that regard, you know, I think as, as you would do the same, you just, it's best to just be gracious and, and uh, say thank you, yeah. you know, and then... And then, you know, kind of hang back and see how much they really know. You know, maybe they just heard your most recent record or maybe they know everything <laughs> you've done and they're kind of like me, a little obsessed with the music and they want to go deep on on whatever, you know, thing you did on your third record. And and that's, I always love it when I when I run into people like that. And I'm also a little incredulous, a lot incredulous, <laughs> just that I could at all even remotely be that to somebody else right. when I'm still so crushed out on my heroes. Right. It's just me. I'm just geeking out and doing what I do. I'm, I'm, how could I possibly be a hero? And speaking of uh, uh, your own records, which mm-hmm. you just mentioned, uh, you have a brand new one out. I do, yeah. It's called Mixtape, uh, and it's a... Speaking of heroes. Yeah, I mean, it's it, ostensibly it's a covers record, but, you know, w- what, is, what is a cover except, uh, you know, paying tribute to right. the artist that originally did the song? Right. And, uh, we d- I just figured this out today. Uh, it draws on material from 46 years of popular music. Well, um, Richard Thompson's got you beat there with the 2000. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I bow down at the altar of Richard Thompson, as I know you do as oh, well. Yeah. But I cover him on this record. Yeah. You know, so it... Uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a great song, the uh, I Feel So Good. I Feel So yeah. Good. I feel so good I'm gonna break somebody's heart tonight. Feel so good, I'm gonna take someone apart tonight. They put me in jail for my deviant ways. Two years, seven months, and sixteen days. Now I'm back on the street in a purple haze. And I feel so good. I feel so good. I feel so good. I'm gonna break somebody's heart tonight. Yeah. So you recorded that up in Maine? Is that right? Yeah, we did it up at a, a studio called Great North Sound Society that my friend Sam Kassir runs. I, I did it with a bunch of friends from Josh Ritter's band. I think we were there for a total of three and a half days. Uh, which was long for me <laughs> as an independent artist. You well, you, you were doing it live for the most part? We did do it live. So you were doing all the singing live? All the singing live. Yeah, that's, I think that's hard to do. It, you know, it is, I guess, but it's, it's really, uh, honestly, the, on, the only way that I can afford to make records yeah. that I want to make. Also, it just so happens to be where I'm at my best uh, is live performance, especially in the studio where you can hear everything great. That, that's that great. You can't go wrong. You have to be willing to accept what you get. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, and which is, I, I think that's a great way to do it. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's certainly not the only way to do it, but it is my preferred way. Mm-hmm. I've done other, like I did another uh, tribute record to Bill Morrissey. I did a whole record of Bill's songs and, uh, you know, not that I single-handedly rescued him from that or anything, <laughs> but I, I, I had to do something, you know? Right. And so I did, I, I started that record before I really knew I was doing it, I just had a bunch of Bill Morrissey lyrics of songs I loved, and I was in my basement little projects, two-channel project studio, record, trying to practice recording myself. And I was like, well, what, what should I play? Oh, I'll play Bill Morrissey songs. And I just played you know, 14 or 15 Bill Morrissey songs in a row. 
And, um, and then it turned into this, uh, this recording project as I went, because I would say, well, that song had that fiddle part. I, don't, I love that fiddle part. I don't play fiddle, but I could maybe find something on mandolin that kind of evokes that. Uh-huh. And I would put that down. And I went about that for like a month, just experimenting and, and, uh, and laying down, you know, kind of extra parts in those songs. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm making a, a tribute record to Bill Morrissey here. It was, it was just a wonderful project, a wonderful way to reconnect. You know, what was the, I'm trying to think of the song when I became a Bill Morrissey fan. It was that song, Coughing Up Blood in a Motel 6. Thinking this, this time, time it's for real. real. Coughing up blood in a Motel 6. Thinking this time it's for real. I wish you knew me like the desk clerk did when he tried to warn me, look out, kid. This morning got stolen by the paper boy As the wind blew in from Illinois I just stayed in bed and waited for the chambermaid Thinking maybe I could talk her into a train My job for her is as long as we both get paid My job for her is as, as long as, as we, we both, both get, get paid. paid I mean, that is like... Yeah. That, it's just a whole story in those yeah. little lines. They t- Unbelievable. Yeah. So we're talking about, uh, we talked a lot about songwriters. Um, let's talk about guitar players. Sure. Like who are some of your heroes? Richard Thompson, obviously. Richard Thompson. But like early on, like when you were first starting to play. Well, Dwayne Allman. Yeah. Uh, David Lindley. Basically the guys that were on some of those early singer-songwriter records, you know, Dwayne did a lot of uh, session work. Um, right. And uh, and David Lindley, I, I couldn't imagine Jackson Brown without David Lindley's contributions. Yeah, I'm sure uh, David Lindley thinks that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and then, um, you know, the, some of those John Hyatt records with Ry Cooter uh, and Sonny Landreth. Um, He's unbelievable. Every time I hear him or see him, it's just like, how, how is that even possible? Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. I've never seen Sonny Landreth. Um, yeah, so a lot, you know, basically anyone that I, I, any of the songwriter records that I really connected with, I my next question was who's who's in the band, right? You know, like it's not it's not just them playing. That's not the only reason I'm connecting. It's the whole thing is is contributing to that. Were you ever you know like Clapton or oh yeah any of that yeah. stuff? Hendrix yeah, I had a girlfriend, a high school girlfriend who was really into Clapton. So um, she she was actually the she was Clapton. And Jackson Brown. So I found those two through through her, and uh, you know through Clapton, you find JJ Kale. Also, Dwayne he right. leads to Dwayne Allman too. You know right. from the Layla record. That's probably my favorite one. When you're first learning how to play the guitar, at least this is how it was for me. Uh, I was drawn to music that I could easily play. Um, as as I mentioned earlier, Neil Young was on the radio when I was growing up. Harvest uh, was on the top of the charts. Uh, as I was able to learn each one of the songs on that record. Um, one, you know, one, learning one song led to another, which then led to different artists. So I would just wanted to try this. Sure. You know, we talked about this earlier, and I'm going to, you know, have you do it too in a minute. Right. But I remember the first songs that I learned to play on the guitar was um, Harvest, because mm-hmm. it's got just a couple of chords, and it's very easy. Um, I can't sing it that high, but... Did, yeah. I, did I see you down in a young girl's town? 
your mother in so much pain. Right? So it's just very, yeah. very simple. Yeah. And then there was... Um, uh, think I'll pack it in. Think I'll pack it in and buy a pickup. Take it down to L.A. Right? Very, yeah. very, very, very simple. Yeah. So once I got... That and that kind of that led to, um, and this took a while. Uh, the needle and the damage done. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and then this this was the tricky part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So once I kind of got that under my. My belt, and then I heard on the radio at some point, uh, <clears throat> "Come down off your throne, leave that body alone. Somebody must change." And I, I put the dots together. Those were the same fingerings, mm-hmm. the same chords. And then, uh, and then, oh, and then the next one was a. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? And same, it's the same thing. That's fingering. Kid Rock, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kid Rock. And then, you know, so that's Leonard Skinner, and that kind of led me to Southern Rock stuff, and then, you know, the Allman Brothers, and then, right, figuring out that chord. So it's like Neil Young was a gateway <laughs> artist yeah. for me. Sure. Uh, so I'm just curious, was it a similar progression for you? Well, if we want to talk gateway artists, I love the Grateful Dead. Um through the Grateful Dead, you get an appreciation for bluegrass, mm. for early rock and roll, uh, even you know free jazz kind of tendencies through their improvisations. The Grateful Dead led to um, traditional music, mm-hmm. you know. So they would play something like "Cold Rain and Snow" or "Going Down the Road Feeling Bad," and I'd be like, "I love that Grateful Dead song." <laughs> oh wait, it's not the Grateful Dead. Who's traditional? Well, what else is traditional yeah, written, right. you know? And then Who you is get this in, trad guy? Yeah, I must track him down. He's got quite a, quite a catalog. <laughs> <laughs> Bands like that really, really did kind of um, spin me off in a thousand different directions, mm-hmm. you know. The guitar for that was similar, you know, for something like Chris Smither, who was my, my first guy, you know, he did a lot of these... Um, uh, yeah. Uh, You know those? I don't even uh, triads. Are those what this called? I don't, uh, I don't yeah, know what double stops. Double or, stops. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't even still don't even know the words. Yeah. But you'd hear a lot of those in Grateful Dead stuff, right? You know? no, and um, it's you know it's mind blowing when you put that together. When you say, "Oh wait, I, that's the same thing that happens in that other song." It's the same stuff, man. That's it, when that's when the the lights start to go off. This is what connects you to your heroes, right? Because it's the stuff that you end up doing too. Right. What better way to, um, you know, if you can't talk to them and tell them directly, like what what better way to do it than to, to show that respect and to show that connection and to honor it, but then to cover their song. And the thing is, you know, you used to have to see when your hero was passing through town, maybe go to the show and maybe, you know, bribe somebody to let you backstage <laughs> or wait out on the back alley behind the club, you know, when they were when they were getting into the bus and try and Shanghai them then. But, um, and that all... That stuff still works, but uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of like artists are not every artist is behind their Twitter account or their Instagram, but a lot of them are, right? And um, 
And you can tell. And so I've actually reached out to people, you know, tweeted at them. It happened just the other week with um, uh, a guitar player, George Marinelli, who uh, played originally, or I first learned of him through Bruce Hornsby in the range. And, uh, and then he went on to play on a Robert O'Keefe record. He was mm-hmm. the guitar player I was referencing before about the guitar duel at the end of uh, Lonely Feeling with him and Gerf Morlix, Trading mm-hmm. Licks. And I remember thinking, who is that playing guitar? And I was like, oh, it's Gerf Morlix, of course. He produced the record. But it's also George Marinelli. Is it George Marinelli from The Range? And I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> tweeted that out like you know the importance of liner notes you know it's like if you don't know that george marinelli also played that you know at the end then we're not talking the same language or something and and george marinelli tweeted back at me like i forgot all about that man thanks for (laughs) thanks for you know giving me a shout out you know and like we've never met but you know the, the message has been relayed and received and and so as much as this tech, this new technology can kind of like all have us staring down at our screens and kind of isolate us in that way, it it can also connect us like right. that. And um, they're out there. And you know, people have a few people, not not a lot, but a few people have covered my songs, and that's great. And and it keeps you going when maybe you don't, maybe you hit a rough spot with your music or momentum stalls and, and you need a little pick me up. I mean, a lot of times that's what happens to your heroes too. It's hard to believe that like some of these people might not be occupying the same space in popular culture as they used to. (laughs) Uh, and you know, they might actually really appreciate an honest, pure kind of, you know, paying of respects. And for mixtape, I really wanted to get, the songs to the artists and uh, and just let them know like hey I did this to your song it's awesome it's a great song it really it became part of my musical DNA and I wanted to thank you for it I, I did not know how I was going to get to Phil Collins because I did a Phil Collins song and uh, you know we're not super tight or anything <laughs> but I, I I met a guy who made it happen and I got an email through through a third party you know from from Phil Collins saying like please tell Mark I love the song it's great to hear an old song done in a new way that really lets you f- focus on the lyrics and I think he even said the story you know uh, mm-hmm. referencing one of your other pro tips I'm sure <laughs> and uh you know it's like that's that's really cool like maybe maybe that made his hour you right. know like right. that's great that's 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 right. you reason never enough know. You, you never know. know so yeah it is it's important to let them know when you can uh, yeah, that, that they had an impact. Well, you know, going back to Chris Smither, uh, I, myself and Jeffrey Focalt organized a kind of surprise tribute, mini tribute show to him on his 60th birthday party, and he didn't know until his wife dragged him to the <laughs> to the club. And we did a night of Chris Smither songs, and then he came up and made a speech, you know, to the audience, and that someone took a picture of him during that speech, you know, kind of receiving. The, the the respects that we had paid all night and uh, it was a it it I get a little emotional thinking about it like it was really it was a really important thing to him and it meant a lot 
and uh, and it meant a lot to me to be able to to pay that back to him and and uh, it was just a wonderful moment. We've got I've got it memorialized uh-huh. on my uh, on my office. Well, we did that for you too for your for your fortieth. It w- yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can die a happy man now. That was uh, that was that, a fun night. It really was, man. And I was thinking that's where it happened in that same room in Passim. Uh-huh. I mean, I actually was thinking about the Chris Smither thing a lot. It's like, wow, they're doing this to me twenty years earlier. You know, like, they're doing this to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, that was amazing. Yeah, it no, was it's humbling. So it's humbling. You know, and it's a good it's a good lesson for for when you. Pay respect to people. That's how they feel. Yeah, this is just a, it's a general life tip, really. I mean, yeah. if there's someone in your life that means a lot to you, you should let them know. Like right. family, friend, musical hero, whatever it is. Like, don't hold the love back. You know, right. like what are you gonna? Do? It doesn't do you any good just hang, hanging on to it. It's right. meant to meant to be paid to others. Well, which is why I was grateful to be able to tell John Jennings uh, how much his his playing meant to me. Uh, he died a couple of years ago at this point, right. so I was glad I got I was able to tell him that. You know, he was kind of like Richard Thompson. He was one of the first guitar players I heard him play with the stuff he was doing with Chapin. Going that I mean, that's absolutely perfect. What perfect. he's doing is totally is telling the story of the song, and it's fantastic and flashy, but without being you know ostentatious. And it really changed how I looked at the guitar. And and when I finally got to meet him, it was you know it was great to be able to tell him that. Absolutely, and you know that that brings us back to maybe a uh, the, a great place to kind of sum all this up, and that's. The, your heroes, it's its not forever. Like they're not around forever. Right. <laughs> None of us are. It just adds a sense of urgency. And it really has, as I get older, it's really made me kind of very clear in, in my intentions. Even friends of mine now, like when they put out a new record, I let them know how much I love the record or how proud I am of them that they, you know, brought this new thing into the world. Or I know they it, it took a lot of money or it took a lot of time or both. And it just matters. Yeah, well, it, you said it very well before, you know, let people know that you love them, you know, yeah. <laughs> whenever you can. Right? Family, heroes, doesn't matter. Well, I, th- I think that's probably a good place that, to wrap it up. Drop the <laughs> mic. I won't drop your mic. It looks very expensive. <laughs> I know, this but... one's expensive. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much, Mark Arelli, for taking the time to come in and talk to us here on the Pro Tips Podcast. I appreciate it, Jim Henry. I really loved it. All right. Well, I hope we can, maybe we can do another tip at some point. I would love that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast. To find out more about Mark Arelli, you can find him online at www.marcarelli.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For transcripts of this and past episodes, and to find out more about the Pro Tips for Musicians book, visit www.jimhenry.net and click on the Pro Tips page. We'd love to hear from you with your comments and ideas for future guests, as well as how to make the show better. Drop a line to protips at jimhenry.net. And thanks again for listening. 